0: Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start, if you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm here with Ollie Preston. Hello. Hello. <laughs> welcome. Can you give the listeners a little bit of an insight to sort of who you are and what you do? Uh,
1: I am the founder and technical director of RPM Technic, uh, which I set up in 2001 in a one-car lockup about a mile from where we're sat today. Nice.
0: Right, so let's sort of, let's dig into a little bit of the journey or maybe a little outline of RPM Technic. What do you sort of deal with? I guess this probably has changed slightly over time.
1: Yeah, uh, well, it's Porsche only. Uh, we don't have anything else come through here um, service, maintenance, restoration, upgrades, engine rebuilds, gearbox rebuilds, mm. remapping. If it's a two door petrol Porsche model, we're all over it. Not a four? four. (laughs) No, definitely not a diesel. (laughs) Definitely not a
0: diesel. (laughs) Okay, so take me back. Wind me back to the sort of beginning of this journey. Were you always sort of into cars, tinkering with cars and stuff as a younger person?
1: Uh, I was always into taking things apart and putting them back together again. Mm. So be it my bike, toys that broke, whatever. Um, My dad had Porsches as a kid. So, you know, that was like hero status. Nice. Whatever car your dad's got. Yeah, 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 So what, what what sort of thing was that? So at the time. Well the first car I remember him having was actually an Alfa Romeo, but interesting that's what my brother does his Alphas, but we'll gloss yeah. over that. He had a nine two four, like a silver nine two four. Uh back in this must be nineteen eighty three. Yeah. Uh which he rolled into a ditch. <laughs> And I remember going to the scrapyard with him as a little kid and uh, I said, Why's well, the windscreen hanging out, Dad? He goes, Because that's how I had to get out of it. <laughs> so, oh, okay. And first. he was just collecting his stuff out of the car. It's quite funny. And then he bought a red 924, which he didn't have for that long. And then he got his first 911, which was a 77 two like, 27 Lux. Nice. Yeah, uh, back, the, back then, yeah, it was a cool car. That was
0: super cool. So then. You know, how did we get to the point where you started having a lock-up? What were you doing in that
1: so, middle of time? I left school when I was 16. I went on work experience at a Porsche garage um, oh, and called Mac Tech Tuning. And I went for work experience there for a week. Then I went back to school. For, that was good. And then when I left school, I went there and did an apprenticeship. Started there in 1993. Oh, cool. So, yeah, started working with the guys there um all of which we work together here now oh, nice. a, so it's like the man who trained me
0: yeah
1: uh, he now works here
0: that's really cool yeah. at that point in time what sort of you know it's your apprenticeship period what sort of things were you like doing and learning how did that kind of
1: work? so we had a rolling road like back then, so we used to do a lot of tuning stuff. It was mainly Porsche stuff, but we also did Golf GTIs, Peugeot 205G, you know, all yeah. the hot hatches that everybody now wants. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we were doing Fiat Uno turbos, like doing yeah. chips and remaps on them, um, but also general maintenance of SCs, 3-2 Carreras, four fours, stuff like that. Mm. And then gradually that business Grew and we just focused on doing Porsches. Uh, I worked there from 93 till 99. I left in 99 to go and do restoration with a guy um, called Tony Outridge, who passed very recently, bless him, rest in peace. Um, and I worked with him doing restoration on early car, 27 RSs and stuff like that in 99. And then I took a year out and went traveling around the world. Nice. Lived out of a rucksack thought oh, i'm done with cars for a bit came back and i thought oh, i could i reckon i could do this myself mm. i reckon i could do this quite well so i got one car lockup up and i started doing the stuff for golf gtis but mainly focusing on porsches but obviously you don't just open the doors yeah. and say hey do porsches in a one car <laughs> lockup up on a farm so i had to start building it you know 944 turbos 964s through all the sort of low-end lower end stuff that's now a fortune
0: yeah
1: uh just maintenance on those and then
0: uh at that point in time when you sort of started how how did you get those like first customers
1: uh i used to put flyers on people's windscreens nice yeah old school i used to print flyers up and i'd go out and drive around station car parks and just a sort of radius of where i was and i'd offer free collection delivery so i'd meet people at station car parks in the mornings yeah take their cars, do the work on them, and then meet them there at the end of the day.
0: And did you sort of go to someone and go, your car looks like it's falling apart, I could fix this, or just? No,
1: nah, it was just purely, it was fly- servicing, yeah, yeah, servicing and maintenance. Um, and it sort of started from that. And I'd also bought, I also bought a 964 that needed an engine rebuild, mm-hmm. so I rebuilt that. So I'd have something else going on in the background. And just slowly ticking over with that, and then... I asked my landlord if I could put a ramp in there, but he'd have to raise the roof, because I didn't know Jackson Ax stands yeah. and honestly. Yeah. And, and then he said, "Would well, you want to move into this? And it was his old it was an old cow shed and it was 30 metres long, six oh, metres oh. wide. And I was like, Oh my god. The rent on the one car lock up was £30 a week and this was gonna be hundred. And I'm like, Man, this is this is I'm all in now. Yeah. 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 I went, Yeah, I'll do it. So I got a ramp and then I employed someone to work with me. And, yeah, we just, it just went from there, really. And then that was, that would have been after about probably 2002, 2003. Uh, I met Darren, who's my business partner and the commercial director. Mm-hmm. He had a 944 turbo, which I fly dropped. <laughs> uh, and he came in and did a load of work with him. Um, sort of got his 944 turbo sorted out. And then he sort of sort of just, like, we just got on really well. Same sort of outlook on cars, looking after them, doing it properly. And he's got an engineering background, so he sort of came on board and we sort of grew it from there. Uh, And then a little while after that, we met Greg. used to maintain he had a 964 to look after. But we were still in the cow shed at this point, so it wasn't shiny enough for him. He wasn't ready to come over. (laughs) We got him in the end, though. Has that been a sort of theme
0: throughout of the people you've met along the way sort of being part of the bigger scheme of just general life, like, you must have met a lot of, you must meet a lot of really cool, interesting people working on cars like this. And I think people that are into Porsches are probably slightly more interesting than some other people, but that's maybe not. That's just just my spin on it, isn't
1: it? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, what's important here is, like, the people who work here, uh, a lot of us have known each other since before this business existed mm. or before, you know, so I've got the guy who trained me, uh, the guy who was in between me and the guy who trained me, who was the sort of main mechanic yeah. there, and the apprentice who came in after me. So we're all working here together now. Um, then I've got, so Darren brought Ian on board who came from G-Force, was in Blue Coral, yeah. the old race around the GT1s and 935s mm. and stuff. So he's raced. Okay. Um, we've got Danny who's here he's raced at Le Mans pick up motorsport uh, so he's done his motorsport background and Porsche background there uh, Dan who's been here for 16 years he came here on his moped as an apprentice he's been here ever since um, oh. it, yeah so it, it's a you know it's like a bit of a big family really mm. my wife works here my sister-in-law works here
0: is that a, like presumably part of it getting people to stay as well and getting people in at, at the bottom as well. is that Has that been like a real learning experience? Like how have you managed to sort of deal with that over the years of staffing? And
1: well, it's sort like, we like, you know, nobody wants to have a high turnover of staff because you want the continuity of the work and know the people you're working with. Mm. Um, but look after them, really. If you look after your staff, they'll look after your clients and then the business of work so this you know this i couldn't do this on my own at all that's why yeah surround yourself with good people in fact get people who are better than you to do stuff and then you're like well then you're learning from them as well right so it's i mean the technical knowledge within this building is just amazing Mm. across everybody what they've done and and because they all pull together and be like someone's got a problem with something they can all get their heads together on it and we always work it out
0: yeah 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 and then, so what's the, the stage been to expanding to like your site now? Did you have you gradually grown over the years here, or did you move into this big site? In no, so
1: goes? we were so the old site we were at, so this cow shed I moved into, mm-hmm. we then got another ramp, so I had two ramps in a row, and then we had a single poster at a precarious angle this side, and it, we were literally we got. We tried to just get the best equipment we could buy, tooling. So we got all the right stuff together. Really good team of people, and it was bursting at the seams. Yeah, I mean, we were we were looking for two years before we found this. Yeah, and we came down here, and we only came down to look at one unit. And by the time we started negotiating for one unit, and then we ended up going for one and a half units, mm. and in the end, we left for two units. You know, from going from a the back of a farm. Yeah. Suddenly, yeah, this was real. This was like, we were properly all in now. None of this 30 to 100 quid. It was like proper rental agreements. Yeah. You know, everything was suddenly it was, yeah, it was properly serious. But we, you know, we felt we were ready for that because we were, we built the reputation. We'd built up the the equipment, the, the team. We was bursting at the seams. So this came along at perfect time. Yeah, yeah. Well, probably a little bit late actually, but
0: <laughs> I imagine for a lot of people—it's very easy to sort of get fixated. And I, I know I kind of do it, but everyone probably does it. you like, you get fixated on okay, but we could have the next space and make it all like super glitzy and glam and whatever. But actually, like, if you can hold on for a bit longer and just wait and just like be a bit bursting at the seams for a while, because as soon yeah. as you expand, if you can't fill that the costs, everything. Like I might have this flash new place, but if we don't fill it, then.
1: Well, since we've been here, we've taken, we expanded the showroom next door mm. um, where you came in. That was, that's now the reception and entrance area. Uh, Cause we started getting such a high flow of client collection drop offs. Everybody's packed into a tiny yeah. reception. So we're like, oh, we need more inside car space. Um, so we took that and we've also got a projects unit at the back. So we've got a standalone unit for air cooled and, project restoration work so not that air cooled and water cooled can't ever meet of course (laughs) it's like are they dividers they they are in separate buildings (laughs) but it's just the way it's worked out there is no there isn't a divide internally it's just how it's worked
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and you guys work yeah as you said before anything with a porsche badge that's got two doors and you put petrol in pretty much so like as early we're not i mean how early would you go would you
1: We're probably, I mean, we do a bit of pre-impact stuff, but it's not really our specialist Mm. field. Um, I mean, I did restoration on it for a bit and there is some experience here, but I would say our strongest suit is um, sort of probably late 70s, SCs, 3.2s, 9.64s, 9.93s on that area. Uh, Because Chris, he's done all the Bosch diagnostic training courses we've got. Some of the equipment we've got, these like the old Bosch system testers, we've got a Bosch ABS tester that's specific for nine six four Carrera fours. Yeah, their, their system is like totally unique to that car. Yeah. Um, so I think there's I think there were like three in the country or something when they were actually available. Yeah. So we've got some really amazing equipment for testing these these vehicles and and you know, he loves the diagnostic stuff. Like I so say, he was a Bosch Master Tech back in the day. Right. So he, he's just in his element. You see some of this stuff, it looks like something out of a 70s sci-fi movie <laughs> with buttons and stuff on it. Um, so that's, and then, but more recently, a lot more of the focus has been on the GT cars. Uh, we've always been big fans of the GT3, but with the, the racing stuff the guys have done and, and some of the background of the more recent members and staff has been GT3 stuff. And then, because there's a type with Manti as well, we do a lot of stuff with them. How did um, that about that? Uh so I met Michael Grassel uh probably eight nine years ago at KW. I went to KW in Germany yeah. to a training course. And I met him there. He was driver and sales in KW in Germany. And just got on well with him. He, he took me out. They were developing a it was a nine nine one kit at the time, so he took me out in that. It's like, right, wow, this guy can pedal. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, just sort of stay in touch really and then he went to Manti. Uh, we had a client with a GT3 RS 991.1 wanted to do some track upgrades and I said well I've got to go to Manti. I asked. So messaged Michael can we yeah no problem really nice to hear from you how are you doing? Are you still in the cowshed? shed? Yeah. No, we'd moved <laughs> got somewhere else now. Uh, can we yeah of course no problems buy some bits and so we started doing a few bits little bits and pieces with them um, and then we had a client, really nice client who's sort of become a friend as well. He he had, always had Manti stuff and, uh, he had a 991.2 GT3 RS and he said, I want to get the Manti kit done. Mm. And I said, well, can we do it for you? And he said, yeah, if Manti will support you in it, And yeah. yeah. So, I opened that conversation, with Michael, about us building the 991.2 GT3 RS that is Porsche approved, warranted. Yeah. Um, and he's like, yeah, maybe we can do something. And we were back and forth. And then he said, yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to fly over from Germany. We'll send the, I'll fly over. We'll send the techs over with the equipment because we had to buy the equipment to set the cars up. Love. Mm. We'll come over. We'll train you. Um, build the car, and then you can you can build them from there on on your own. So I was like, wow, that's good. Yeah. And he said, oh, and I've also got a GT2 RS as well that needs doing. So we ended up yeah so we got the two and the three RS they were the first builds outside of Germany apart from Australia Australia Manti I've been to Australia and done it there yeah so we were the first one and this was apparently one of the things with Brexit meant that you could have that it was one of the good things Brexit it meant that with Manti coming to the UK it's not more difficult for them to work here so it's easy for them to train us and let us get on with doing it dealing with the UK once Mm. So where's the rest of the Europe, I think they were going to dealers building the cars.
0: Yeah. I remember the stage, someone I know was having his GT2 RS, He was going to get the month like here. And it was like early GT2 RS, maybe it was the same far, I
1: don't know. Um, Mazin. No, Mazin got his done in... Um, I, think, I
0: feel like he got his...
1: Yeah, day. I think his was... Like the first, maybe the first UK car. Or, yeah, I mean, he was way ahead of the curve. Super right?
0: and like that, The process of, obviously, they've developed all of their parts and whatnot and sorted it all out. For you guys to fit everything, do you need any particularly crazy kit? I much it's all just, it's like wheels and whatnot and alignment and blah, blah. It's
1: the, it's the, it's the geometry setup equipment right. that is, that's the magic part of it. So uh, the Manti equipment uh, is a geometry equipment that bolts onto the wheel hubs. Yeah. Uh, It sits on weight scales. So you do ride height, corner weight, geometry all at the same time. Oh, really? Interesting. So, and it it doesn't just weigh all four corners. It pretty much puts a cross through the car. So you can see the balance of the car. So, I mean, in theory, it's like you could balance it on a pin. Yeah. It's kind of the, the logic of it. So you can see the weight. Although the corner weights will be not totally even, but the split from the car, you'll get the fifty-fifty weight yeah. distribution on it, and yeah, it's quite cool. It's very yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, because I remember because GT they've been doing. I mean, they've been doing stuff for ages, haven't they?
1: Just yeah, well, set well, I left Manti won the Carrera Cup did back in mm. in the 964 days and then started his company from there. And, I mean, they're now 51% owned by Porsche AG anyway. Yeah. So they are Porsche's skunk works, if you know, like. <laughs> where they do all the, all the development. So when they're taking a car on to take it to the next stage, you've got, you know, Porsche Vaisac will sort of hand over all the, well, this is where we've got to. Yeah. This is all the information, you know. It's not like they're taking it up and having to work it out. Nice. They're just picking a baton up and taking it to the next stage.
0: That is a really interesting point about it. When people look at aftermarket tuning, in inverted commas, you go, right, so someone like Porsche, I spent God knows how much developing this car and then a man in a shed has gone, I reckon I can do it better. (laughs) And you're like, okay, yeah, like there's there's also budget and whatever and the specific usage of things. But it's an interesting one to look at and then you get yes, yeah, so something like Manti, There, they're fully linked in.
1: They are. I mean, they are. I mean, obviously, when the so let's take the GT3s built as a production car. It's they have they have budget constraints still. Yes, yeah. they have a huge budget to develop it, but it's still got to be built within a certain budget. So, you know, right? You can only this is the budget for suspension, for example, for the shocks and springs you can use. Or your preferred partners, that's who we're working with. But when Manti get it, kind of okay do what you want. Yeah. And they can take that to the next level. And it's obviously a time constraint as well. If you could develop a car, you have 25 yeah. years to develop it. Yeah, but they've got, a, as hence the next generation of stuff comes out, but with Manti picking it up in between and taking it and going to man in shed thing, there's obviously stuff that men in sheds do very, very well that, you know, exhaust systems are a prime example where, you know, European legislation stops yeah. people from, stops manufacturers from doing certain things to cars. So, you know, the man in the shade can come along and make a beautiful exhaust system yeah. that will give power, give increased torque and power, and sound great. And
0: tuning, and tuning, I think is is such, such a wide range of stuff. But like, kind of engine mapping and stuff like that. I had a really good conversation with Ian Litchfield about this, and I didn't realize how many. Let's just say, like day one of engine tuning, there was like four parameters that you could mess with like as a sort of thought and now it's like 20,000 little bits and pieces and, and whatever and it gets quite quite into it one of the things so you've worked on and with 964s yeah for ever basically that the that car with the 964s we're seeing now turned into god knows whatever they are singer Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How have they changed in terms of you bought a car back there, things you can do, how has that sort of progressed over the years? Because like, the guy that we know, um, my friends and your customer, and probably friend, um, he's, he's got a 964. Yeah. And he's, I, I know that's slowly getting further and further down the line of things you can change, yeah. how extreme, et cetera, et cetera. With something like that, how has it changed over time and things you can do now that you couldn't do, even think of?
1: The biggest difference on those is the price of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Because of Singer get, singer using them as their base car, yeah. obviously everybody's gone, oh, 964 is a good car to mod. And that's driven the prices crazy, right? But um, apart from that, uh, I mean, people always used to do back in the day, it was always make them more RS like, mm. so you put the bigger brakes on. You know, different uprights, suspension, yeah. put a set of pole position seats in it, take a load of weight out of it, and you had a really good little track car. Yeah. But as suspension technologies come on. You know, you can you can put much better suspension on them now. Uh, the KW kits, we fit a lot of those to them. It's a really good recipe for that particular right. chassis. It works really well. Um, but it's all the, you know, it's one of the things of those was stalling. When you put a lightweight clutch and flywheel okay. on, people used to <laughs> manage stalls all the time so, and you could you could map it you put a chip in the Motronic ecu but it's now like they're putting throttle bodies on there with drive by wire throttle control yeah. Motec standalone systems and you know the great thing with the nine six four is the way the engine goes in is you can literally it's got a multi plug under the seat that you can unplug and then you can take unplug the e c u and you can take the whole engine and loom out. So that is ready to then go in. You can put that in another car quite easy and you've got like a couple of power leads and some gauge feeds Mm. and it just plugs in. It's really simple. Everything's not tied into everything else like modern stuff is. So that's why they were so good to play around with. That's why people put 964 engines in 3.2 Carreras and stuff like Uh, that because it's easy to do. And then at the other end of it, you've got Singer doing like their DLS thing which just looks... I mean, that's that's just... That is a mic drop moment, isn't it? (laughs) For anybody modifying 964s. Right, that's okay. You're done. You're never going to top that. Yeah. It's just... They've just done everything so well. And you look at it and think... Yeah, I can't fault that car. (laughs) Well done. I'm going to bow out, sir. It's just done it. I mean, I'd love to have a go in one. I'd love to have a go in one of those.
0: And I think... I've, I've... Over the years tried a few different versions from different people of whether it's 964s or 903s and stuff. I've driven some of the Paul Stevens cars. I've um, driven a Theon design. You know yeah. those cars, yeah. Adam. Um, I've driven a Singer. Not had much of a, a going one, but a bit, of, a bit of a cruising one. And then I've got my backdated SC. Those are kind of my like, reference points. And I realised quite early on, I think it was after driving one of the Paul Stevens cars. It's like, there are differences between these. Your million-pound car, and I think the DLS is probably this is just, that's like another another level. Yeah. But in terms of like having a really nice interior and having panels that fit amazingly and all that sort of stuff, it's like aesthetic things that look really nice and probably reduce maybe reduce a little bit of weight. A really well set up base car that's got good suspension, good engine. That's, I mean that's pretty and like bolted together well gives you a lot of the experience of one that you could easily spend another hundred grand then it gets to like yeah how much do you want to ramp it up but like a 964 or something it changes quite a lot but I feel like you, you do get an idea of where these things are they're still it doesn't matter how much money you spend on it it's still a
1: 964 Yeah, unless it's a DLS It's not really an object anymore, anymore, is it? But yeah, I I, I, I hear you. I mean, it's, I guess the thing is, as well, is some people will come in and they want the look. So the backdate look is already expensive to do on a 964. It's so expensive to do now. It's so expensive to do because all the parts are so expensive and they're, you know, they're not quite as good as they were originally. So they, you know, quite a lot of panels need reworking, even from genuine stuff from Porsche. And, you know, then people mold make their own panels and you get loads of these small industries going off and making well they make a bonnet they make a bonnet they yeah. make a bonnet and you're like why don't we all get together and all make one just really one perfect one. bonnet one. Yeah. <laughs> we can all share it Um so it's a bit with 964 so you've got the back date element then you've got I mean let's face it they're what are they 30 plus years old now yeah you know when they come out the first ones are sort of 89 88 89 so between so 34 years old so they need restoring anyway
0: yeah full restoration so that's it just
1: and he's full restoration, then you're going to do engine rebuild, and then you want to modify it. So, and then it's a gearbox rebuild, and it's, oh, I want to put a diff in it. And then it's uh, suspension, brake, I want to do upgrades, got more power, so he's better yeah. brakes. So, it's all RS brakes. And then, so you're taking stuff off that's still good or could be refurb, but replacing it with new for better. And then it comes to the interior stuff. And obviously, what people are doing with interiors now. I think, again, Singer set the benchmark on that one. They Absolutely
0: smashed it with the classic mm. when that came out.
1: And it was like, okay, because everybody was doing pretty much the same thing up yeah. until that point. They were going for RS interiors for pole positions because it just worked. Yeah. Nobody had thought outside the box. And then Rob Dickinson did what he did. He's like, well, that's cool. That's and how many people have tried to copy those seats?
0: I know. Yeah. And that, I couldn't, that was not a problem but like an interesting stage of they released that car and you saw the interior. And then I remember when the DLS came out and I saw that interior, I was like, Oh, all like, right. Oh, we've, the, the, the game has changed.
1: Yeah.
0: And you look and one of the ones that's, unfortunately they're not there in the same ones for that roof. I love roof yeah. as a brand. I love the cars. I like what they're doing, especially like the new cars, like the CTR anniversary and stuff like that and the engineering and the fact that it's all like a carbon tub and whatever. But you look at the interiors, and you're like, guys, you're charging a lot of money for these cars, and the interior just looks like a 964 covered in Alcantara. Maybe a bit more than that, but, like...
1: Probably a bit harsh,
0: but... No, but, like, I guess it... We've got but, this new reference point.
1: But their stuff looks a lot more original. It does. So your guy in your roof has got a car that underneath is light years ahead of what it originally was but it looks pretty much like a standard 964 so you've you've got a probably different marketplace yeah, for those right. cars I think with and the... they're very well engineered aren't they I mean Roof everybody thinks about the yellow bird yes video around the ring oh, <laughs> that is, that I is... saw one the other day Did I
0: think you? it was the first time I've ever seen one what, what was colour the was market?
1: it it was yellow it was it they weren't all yellow I've seen a green one um, but they're so they they look good now I mean do. If you could buy that car now, you just you would, wouldn't
0: you? Absolutely. And like that to me as a car is actually so much more interesting. For me as someone who likes Porsche and then a bit of history of Porsche and like also then the video and all that stuff.
1: You could almost say Roof did back then with that car what Singer did. Yeah. You know, it's just a say t- they just turned everything on its head and went, This is what you can do. And it's like, wow. And
0: it's just ah. Oh, Okay, the, the roof UK guys. Um, so yeah, actually, I'd like to split that comment about the interiors. The older cars, based on, let's say, 964s, or no, whatever they're based on. They Literally every year they're based on something like that. They're doing kind of like OEM, but mental engineering in terms of changing engines and whatever. Yeah. With their new cars, which is not a Porsche anymore, it's their own... chassis own everything then and they're like you know a million plus or whatever i think personally i think they need to adjust the interiors and whatever but i saw a btr2 the other day that the roof uk guys have just had restored and that was based on a what was it 964 i think and when they came out that car was the first turbocharged, was it not, or was it earlier than that? Basically you couldn't get a turbo when, they, when Roof came out with the turbo. Yeah. So this, the standard Carrera was like, whatever it was. So is it narrow bodied, that one, or is it a wide body car? It's like, not super, yeah I think it's like a turbo body-esque, so slightly wider. Um, but yeah, when they came out, I think, I'm just going to make some numbers up, but let's just say you could get 300 horsepower out of the standard car and this was like 450. Yeah. And there was no Porsche Turbo. So for like a year or whatever, the roof was like so much faster than anything else. Same with the Yellowbird When that came out, yeah. it was like 500 or something, like 220 miles an hour, something ridiculous.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was, that was the quickest car, wasn't it?
0: Back
1: yeah. At the time, quickest production car
0: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Over the years, you guys have done your own sort of modified bits on various cars, haven't you? Yeah.
1: Yeah, we've done I mean across all range really. We've done we did a nine six four back date mm-hmm. uh for a guy who he wanted a singer, but he wanted a narrow-bodied singer. Yeah. And I think that was the only thing, to my mind, that Singham, if they'd offered a narrow-bodied version of that car. Yeah. Because wide-bodies tend to go in and out of fashion. They, yeah. Do you know what I mean? There was a point when a wide-body 911 was a bit... I mean, I remember being in a, in a, a wide-body... Well, it was a 930 Turbo Targa. Guards red. Mm. And this must have been early 2000. And people were laughing at me. I sat around about it, and I, I remember trying to sell it. I couldn't get, I couldn't get like eight grand for it. It was, nobody wanted it. Yeah. And then, you know, now they're really cool again. They're retro cool. Yeah. But then I think they weren't old enough to be that cool. Yeah. But, sorry, so, so we did a narrow-bodied car for him, backed out on a 964, which mm-hmm. was, was we learned a lot doing that about how you have to change the floor platform and stuff so you can see how much that's when you start doing that and you see how much Engineering Singer put into developing that yeah. and then uh, we've done we also did our CSR program which yeah. started off with a we we bought a really high mileage Boxster S and it was around the time that Cayman R came out Yeah. and we kind of did we put you know we did a KW kit on it we just put braided brake lines on it we just went through the car sort of top to bottom and just played all the suspension, just made it a really tight, nice yeah. Nice box thread, lightweight clutch and flywheel, you know, just some sort of the recipe that Porsche pretty much done and Manti do on their kits now. Yeah. We we did it on our box back then, called it a CSR and went out and did a load of track days in it. And um that was really well received. Um, especially for the price point it was. You know, yeah. these cars were cheap, so you could do a lot of those mods to. And then the next one we did was the nine nine seven. Mm. To the 997, we got a car in that had bore scoring, so we did an engine rebuild and it's a tired suspension. So we just applied the same same recipe and we went through and and did that to the 997. Um and then we did a nine nine six and we just I mean the thing at that point was there was you had the GT cars, which have always been fantastic, yeah. and that's what everybody aspires to have. But then you had a lot of good cheap 996 997s that you could buy stage build do these upgrades and mods to and get a car that was pretty close i mean it's never gonna have the engine in it but you could yeah. get it handling well stopping well and it'd be a respectable track car that you could also use on the road and it had back seats yeah. so it ticked a lot of boxes for people and we built we built over 40 of those in total for people now um and what we learned during that development was you know we applied it to we still apply it sometimes we just do a suspension kit for someone with a 996 yeah. or a 997 you know, was, you know we had a lot of stuff developed and made when we did days like flywheels
0: yeah because I remember seeing those I can't remember, would have been reading in a, in a magazine or something where it would be like a 997 CSR or something and seeing them you know get reviewed and whatnot, and being like Oh yeah, that's quite, like, quite cool and I think at that, that point in time I was into the, like, big, wide, big wings, like, all that sort of stuff. But looking back, th- those were the the kind of, like, narrowbody, under-the-radar, but
1: perform. It was all, really I mean, well. we we did, I mean, the ducktail was the sort of signature yeah. piece we did for them, and we still sell, I mean, ducktails is probably what we sell the most of from the back of it. Yeah. We sell them all over the world, yeah. They're always on order. The guys can't make them quick enough for us. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, we'd take GT3 styling keys from them. And what was really nice about when we'd bought the CSRs out is people thought they were factory cars. And that was, That's for great. me, that was like, oh, f- on the CSR i not heard of them. I said, oh, all right, cool. But because we use a lot of genuine Porsche parts, you know, GT3 bumpers, side skates, yeah. you know, we'd, I mean, we did our own sort of centre exit exhaust that was a bit cup car-esque and mm. a few stuff like that. But nothing too out there. And what what were you doing to the engines at that point? Uh, I mean, we'd done the the engine mods. We didn't really go for capacity increase because um, everybody knows they're not the strongest of engines. Yeah. But we'd re- d- different rods. We'd lighten and balance the bottom end. Uh, different rods used to flow the heads. So we kind of apply again, following the Porsche recipe, the X fifty one pack. Right. So they had different manifolds, different inlet. Uh, flow the heads and get a bit more power but they always felt a lot more punchy right um and yeah that that worked well you know i think the final the biggest mods we ever did was the the what we called the evo which is the one we painted merlin purple Mm. uh and that was that really tanked on that car it was a quick 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 car because we did all the engine mods to it but you know it wasn't a gt3 we weren't pretending it was a gt3 it was just just a really cool Merlin purple is a good color, as well.
0: Yeah, it's a good color. Good color. It's, it's funny, like, definitely the, the narrow. It's like my SC is like slightly wide because they're not like it's got slightly wider front, slightly wider rear. Yeah. But like, I'm really liking narrow cars again.
1: I think it's also a bit of a British thing, isn't it? We're not it's, quite as shouty as we are. As, yeah. We're less shouty, so we like to just turn up, do stuff properly, and go home without making a big fuss about yeah. it.
0: And ideally look as understated as possible in the process. Yeah. Uh, we love
1: an underdog in this country, don't we? We do. I,
0: I think mine's led slightly by this sort of anti-grip. I went down a lot of, like, my like 997. Yeah. Like that on a set of Cup 2s in the dry. It's just so much grip. Just so much grip.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then makes it a little bit spiky on track. It's fine, but like, if you want to have a bit of a play on the road, you're being quite aggressive, <laughs> aggressive. You're going quite fast. Oh, yeah. or even just like out of a junction or whatever, yeah. you're really being quite brutal on the car. And um, I really like. I'm like, well, I, I kind of want to be able to just like faff around a little bit without having to give it the big one. so then i'm like right okay let's 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 start going down this smaller tires narrower cars even like less power but just less weight
1: kind of route that's the thing is that you can have a much slower car but be having a lot more fun yeah you see on track days all the time you know you've got the guy turns up in a Yeah, I have an old air-cooled 3.2 that he spent loads of time and effort developing it. Yeah. And he goes out, and he might not be the fastest guy out there, but he's probably one of the biggest smiles on his face. Because he's like, you know, that's what's fun is driving cars flat out, isn't it? Absolutely. And if you've got something so fast that you can't drive it flat out and get the most out of it, you know, you want to be this corner speed, isn't it? And chucking them around. Exactly. I've had so much
0: fun in... Even like, like front wheel drive stuff like I've done some C1 racing and like, in that like a track prepped Citroen C1 you're so on it how much speed can you keep carrying yeah. like it only does about 110 miles an hour but you just carry that into every corner yeah. and like if it's not going to work it, you just scrub it off sideways like it doesn't, you're having the most fun yeah. that you possibly can
1: you're not going to, I mean if you, if you go off in that it's not going to look like a light aircraft has come down, is it? Like if you got off in a GT2 RS, there's going to be debris for quite some. Way. That is
0: it. And then we've got like, like the cars now, the road cars coming out of Porsche, are mental. Like the things you've got downstairs, you look down and you've got like GT3 RS and, and like 991 GT3 RS, then like GT2 RS, and then like then the current gen, well 991.2s with MR kits. Yeah. And you look at them and you're like, oh, this is such a serious bit of kit now for a track day. Yeah. Yeah. Do most people who get MR upgrades, they're doing it for a
1: track? Or? They all track them, but they're perfectly usable oh. on the road. I mean, what that, that conversion does is the car's so much more compliant. Mm. Even the low-speed low speed use on the road it's so much more compliant i mean when i when i converted the when we did the green car the first one we did yeah uh, the owner said to me ollie use the car before you do it the conversion mm-hmm. and then you know use it after as well so you get a real good back-to-back feel and so much easier to drive faster and that's that's what they do so well is there you know i'm no racing driver but you can get a lot more from the car, mm. drive it a lot faster and feel safer in it than when it's a standard car. Yeah. And they're not bad standard, don't get me wrong, but you can no, probably get...
0: they're still get, better than everything else.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can probably get like 90% out of the car yeah. without having to be a racing driver. Yeah. And that's what's really cool about it. So, but to get the next 10%, you've got to be like properly good. I mean, I've been rounding, I've sat next to Tim Harvey and his one. I've been yeah. around Nürburgring and a lot of other circuits and what it does it's amazing you know he just passed everyone else so stood still nick tandy took me around in the green one when we first built nice. it and he's like i just can't believe this car it, it just feels like a racing car yeah um last Kern took around a Urberg ring in a gt3 rs mr and it, it they're just like what these guys can put these cars into and you think it's really actually you think you can drive and then you sit next to someone like yeah that yeah get, yeah like, yeah they are professionals and they are bloody good at it but they're all really nice guys as well there's no massive egos with them (laughs) It's annoying that isn't it they're great fun to be around you know they're just yeah they're just a good (laughs) laugh and that's that's also good because some racing drivers can be a bit you know and some of them aren't into cars either aren't they yeah yeah just it's a tool and they do their job and they go home but yeah they're all into cars as well so it's good it's super cool.
0: I, I I definitely picked that sort of up around feedback of people driving GT2RS MR and stuff like that. Of the main thing is it's an easier car to drive.
1: Yeah.
0: It's just easier and therefore you go faster. And it can it's more maybe more capable and whatever, but like it's easier. Yeah. And if a car's easy to drive, you're not scared of it.
1: And it, it it's not doesn't make it easy without taking anything away from it. Yeah. Kind of you're still having a great time in it. it, and it's you know you're going really really fast. Yeah. So it's not not like, very fast. Yeah. It's, it's not like it's not like easy in the way like a golf GTI is easy yeah. to chuck around. It's still you're still getting exactly the same from it. It's less spiky. Yeah. It's probably a good good description of it. But it's just great. It's just a kit that works really really well.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, and the, and the road side of it because that was something I think Mars had said he'd had his gt3 done uh just suspension and stuff uh, before he then got the gt2 and he was like yeah but it's just better like screw the track stuff it's just better like day to day it's whatever more compliant deals with stuff because i definitely had this belief a while ago not so much recently that like a stiff car was a sporty car
1: yeah
0: now i'm so far the other way i'm like i love compliance and Ultimately, if you can keep the wheels on the ground. <laughs> what, sort of, what are the most popular kind of upgrades and things that people would generally do now?
1: On the newer stuff, it, we do a lot of suspension kits, on so, of Manti kits. So we've done, I think we've done eight full conversions on cars, but we do a lot more suspension kits only. And because they're still Porsche warranted, so you can put a Manti suspension kit on your 2RS, 3RS, and it doesn't affect your warranty at all. which is yeah that's really cool i mean it did make them significantly more expensive than when we buy them totally from menti but the porsche warranty there's no warranty better yeah Uh, it's such a great one you know they they properly look after their cars yeah warranty it's
0: yeah they really do and it's i had an issue with my rs it was a weird like clicking noise that was coming from the front i think it was some sort of joint related thing and um Went back to Porsche and they were like, okay, we're probably going to have to change a bunch of stuff. Have you done some track days? I'm like, yeah, I have. They're like, "Mm, okay, how many? I was like, I've probably done like two a year, three a year. They're like, "Mm, okay, that's fine. Whereas like so many brands would just be like, so it's been on track.
1: Yeah, no. Well. Yeah, but there's an you can go, well, hang on a minute. You sold me a car with a roll cage and harnesses in it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's, if that's not for track, what are you what are you saying? Well, there's, so, but they, they do, you know, as long as, the thing is like most things in life, if you are straight with people, yeah. you're straight back and it's like, you know, we take cars on behalf of clients to one of the Porsche centers we work closely with and, you know, say, look, it's been on track, this is what's happened. They're like, okay, cool. And they, they go to Porsche with a warranty info. Yeah. and nine times out of ten they approve it you know engines have been changed they, they just do it and that's another great why people love the brand you know it's the the dealer network is behind it in, in that way
0: that's it i think that got me in from early days of like doing road trips with mates and stuff and like
1: the porsche
0: just worked and i just didn't really have any problems now lots of other manufacturers are very good now but that sticks. When you're like, I'm aiming to drive six hours a day, eight hours a day for a week, and you have no issues, and you're driving like probably a bit faster than you should, you're like, oh, I like this. I like this brand. You've done a few things on things like GT4s and Spiders. Yeah. You do, I guess there's like a Manti kit, but then it's, there's a few different things.
1: So, yeah, we've done, we've got our GT4 that we've done a mm-hmm. full Manti kit on but we've also put uh, ST brakes on it which are the carbon ceramic. Oh okay yeah. So they're a really good PCCB replacement. What what we tend to is cuz they're kind of half the price of PCCB replacements yeah. is we tend to a lot of people put them on as like an insurance policy mm-hmm. for their everybody wants to buy a GT car with its original PCCBs on it. Yeah. Ideally that hasn't been on track.
0: Yeah.
1: Don't we? <laughs> Good luck finding one that hasn't yeah. been on track. You'll find
0: ones that, uh, that they say hasn't been on track. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of them.
1: Yeah. That's because what they've done is they've taken off the PCCBs, put the STs on to yeah. use it on track, and then they put the PCCBs back on to sell it. But it's, not, it's good insurance policy because the STs are a lot harder wearing. They'll and that's service the right. yeah. yeah. They'll take a lot more abuse than the, the PCCBs. Um, I mean, the PCCBs are a great break. The STs just will just take the abuse. So it's like an insurance policy for you.
0: Mm. I I would definitely can... Well, no, because if I bought a new car, it would have the new whatever's on it. And if I got, like, my RS, the ceramics sort of need doing. The fronts definitely need doing. The rears are, like, not far behind. Body traction control, just like... Now i learn learned some lessons, but it does just,
1: like, eat... There is. Um, STs are good, though. You get those for that car. Yeah. We we'll fit quite a few sets on Gen 2 997s.
0: what a, st- a standard set of PCCBs is like t-
1: starts two at, and a half or a quarter? No. More? Yeah, they're more than that. I think they're about... They're, I think they're like 20 grand. Is it
0: 20 for a full set? It's yeah, something it's, like that, isn't it? It's
1: about twice the price of STs, and STs are about 12. Yeah. So...
0: And those you can refurb a bunch of times. They
1: can be refaced twice. Um, I mean, we had a we we had a client's car here. Uh, he had a Manti four point two that nice. yes you know, he built a nine nine seven Gen two. Uh, has That's that a, blue car? Yeah, it had. Um, we did a full refresh on that car, mm. and we sent the shocks back to KW for an overhaul. Yeah. And they've been on there, done a lot of track days, and he lets pro drivers drive his car, so it's it's been driven hard. And they said, "I said, can you refurb them?" And they said, "This car looks like it's done two seasons of VLN. These shocks are absolutely shot. What we'd like, because he's used it, and this is KW, what great company. They said we'd like to give you the newest version of this kit, full brand new kit, and we'll keep this for R and D, and you can have that at the cost of a refurb." Nice. So that so that was great. Uh, we also sent um, the ST brakes away for ref- refacing, uh, and the fronts were okay. The only problem with the rears was um, some of the bolts gone in the bells, so they'd corroded yeah. just from age. So they refaced the rears and put new bells on. And it was, wow. So this, but yeah, and we did a load of other bits on the car, like some other suspension bits and pieces. But
0: What sort of age do things... Start needing to be replaced. I guess it's entirely down to usage. Like, so my RS is now coming up to forty thousand miles. Yeah. It really probably needs a full set of discs. I was slightly tempted to just buy some PCBs, and then it's within warranty and whatever. But like, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, well, how long am I going to keep it in warranty? And like, I can't, I'm not going to do that forever.
1: What can you do? I mean, they can. Is it fifteen years? You can have them in warranty. I don't
0: know, I just keep going. I just bought a three-year warranty like a year ago. So what year's your car? 20, it's, it's a 2011 model, but it's
1: 2010. That'll probably be the last time you can warranty it. I'm pretty sure yeah. it's 15 years. Yeah. And then you're out. So, oh. <laughs> so <laughs> then you're on your own. So I mean, at 40,000 miles, I mean, they, they're pretty bomb-proof, those 997s, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're using it a lot, yeah, suspension bushes and stuff wear out, but they don't wear... The thing is with the GT cars is because they generally go out in nice weather, do track days, and then they go back and get put back away. They're not used all year round, so a lot of stuff that kills these cars is the winter. Yeah. Salt on the roads and and just getting in and eating the bushes. But generally on a lot of the sort of standard road cars, we're sitting like 60,000 miles, you want to be looking at doing a lot of the suspension. Mm. Um, but on the track, you sort of deal with it as and when. Yeah. Sometimes it depends how you drive them. Hard on track, if you're bouncing all over the curbs, yeah, you can smash stuff up. It's,
0: it's an with suspension. So, you've recently done a. This is an interesting topic, actually. You've you've put back seats in a GT3.
1: Yes.
0: Was that a? And you now do you now offer that as a
1: service? Yeah, we've done uh, two cars now. Yeah. So um, we won for um, our mutual friend. Uh, it wasn't as straightforward as it first appeared. I mean, the brackets we get from a company in Germany, so they're on yeah. TUV approved, which, as you know, TUV.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, every time you hear about TUV, it like, takes a year to get anything approved, yeah. and it's like an MOT strict level times 10. Um, but yeah, the TUV approved, and they're for 991 and 992 GT3s. Nice. So, yeah. Uh, so we bought... I mean the, the kit; it's not cheap to do the whole conversion. No. But by the time so you bought the bracket kit, and then you buy all the interior stuff, and then you have it, you can't order the interior in the same trim as the GT3, cause the GT3 a GT3 because the GT3s are specific. Right. So you then have to have the seat retrimmed retrim to match. And then if you've got a cage car, panels are different. And if it's a non-cage, so because we we did a touring conversion as well yeah. to the standard GT3, so. Really, if you bought, I oh know if you wanted a 991 GT3 Touring, and there, well, there weren't many made, were there? So they're yeah. they're big premium. You can buy a 991 GT3, and for sort of ten grand, we can convert it to a Touring, and then for about another ten or twelve grand, you can put rear seats in it, mm. and then you've got the ultimate 911. Yeah, a GT3 Touring with rear seats. Yeah, I don't know why Porsche don't do it. I don't know why they don't do it. They don't have to.
0: That's what sells like GTSs and yeah,
1: I guess
0: turbos and things.
1: Yeah, yeah. If they literally imagine Porsche just made a GT3 and you could have one with a spoiler without back seats. Um,
0: imagine if that touring, when it had come out, like I, the, the new touring and actually 991.2 and 992, they are the same suspension as Wing.
1: Yeah, I believe. Pr- pretty much, yeah. There's not a lot of difference between them. So
0: they're pretty similar.
1: Yeah, they're quite similar enough that you can swap bits over.
0: No, no, sorry. I don't mean as in the, between the generations. I mean, 991.2 wing car versus touring car and 992 wing car versus touring car. Yeah. They run the same suspension, same yeah. spring rates, same everything, don't they? Yeah. So why, and it's fine, but I, I feel like there's a lot of people that would go, yeah, but if that car came with seats and this we're diving down a real sort of niche for some people but for so many people i think this is such a no-brainer like if you could get that car with seats in the back and it was slightly it was more compliant on the road everyone would be like that's
1: freaking amazing that's the one that's the one so that's where you need to get that and then put a kw Mantoi kit on it so you need the <laughs> kw Mentor kit rear seats rear wing delete perfect car
0: it's definitely is it interesting um, what's your what's your favourite of the do you have a favourite era
1: no don't really I just like some of my great memories of cars were like obviously growing up sitting in the back of a 911 got a brother mm. and sister so they read the side and I'd be in the middle this is nice. obviously when seatbelts yeah, were yeah, compulsory yeah. or I don't think it even had seatbelts but like when I worked for Tony I was doing restoration um, and there was a 27R I came back from lunch and It's a 27RS outside, so I said, what's that for? He goes, that's your next job. I want you to take it for a drive, and when you get to 6,000 in second gear, you'll find God. (laughs) And he just gave me the keys, and I was like, cool. And, I mean, they weren't worth loads of money then, they are now, but as a right-hand drive, white with blue, limited limited slip diff. And I just went off for a drive in it, and I was gone so long, he was going to, (laughs) <laughs> you know it's called the it's like police I, yeah I thought I'd had a but I came back and I was just like wow that was to you know that age to drive that car with that permission just go out and have yeah. it and the value wasn't in them so I did and it was that was pretty epic Yeah, we did a uh, I mean more recently we did a 959 did a full mm-hmm. engine build on a 959 and uh, taking that out for a drive like uh, say Chris who trained me um, he'd done most of the work on the car, not built the engine up, Dave but Chris did all the other work on the car, like right? we did all the shocks and steering rack and yeah. uh, got all the brakes working again and stuff. Then went out for driving that and I I drove it through Tring which is just down the road, which is the town I grew up in, where I had a poster of that car on my wall <laughs> and now I'm driving through the town. I turned to Chris, I went, Mate, do you realise I grew up here with posters car on my own, and I'm driving through the town with the man who taught me to fix cars? And he said, Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, it was quite a, that was quite a moment. That, that was cool. pretty cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Um so that was my poster car. Uh and then I mean some of the track stuff I've been fortunate to do and drive some of these cars on track is the GT three RS and stuff. I've got a nine nine six G T three, which I'd love. Um they're all oh man, they they're all I know why people collect cars. Yeah. Because you just go on that one, on that one, on that one, and you, you drive them all. Oh, just brilliant. I could totally see that.
0: I've looked at, I've been through some, and I'm, I'm sure this journey will continue for many, many years to come, but I always looked at collections and gone, I don't really see the point. Just like, have a car and drive it. And then now I'm like, yeah, okay. And then you go, I want a massive, I would probably want a variety of experiences. In there. And then I'm kind of like, yeah, but. I would really like a 991.2 GT3 Touring, keep my 997.2 RS, have a 996 RS, and then a 2.7 RS. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, there's
1: a theme. There's a theme there. I
0: would, I would very, very happily have a collection of the different eras of Porsches.
1: Yeah. and the, I mean, the RSs are just you know they always drive so different from their yeah their counterpart even though there's you know even a 964 rs which isn't that different to a 964 on paper but when you get in it's a totally different driving experience So the um, porsche nuts yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah you know, the, the 27 rs you know they're just all if it's got an rs badge on it
0: yeah but, and i think for me specifically also it's like I'm very much interested in the eras that I kind of remember. I'm interested in the older ones, yeah. but, and from an experience point of view and stuff, I'd love a six, like an early car. But I remember specifically 996. My first experience in a sports car was my cousin had a 996 GT3 way back, and we, we took me on a track day around Silverstone, and it was like the best thing ever. Yeah. And then went quite fast on the way home, and that was very formative at the time. I think I was must be like sixteen or something. And then nine nine seven, I remember that my Seven nine nine ones, I've like driven them all. Nine nine two, like I have a real thing of like. And I get in my nine nine one, and I'm like, oh, this kind of feels like a little bit vintage now because I've been in a nine nine two, and they're all like different.
1: We did that um, Evo feature a few years ago where we had. The 996 one and two and the 997 one and two. Mm. It was when the 997 two had just come out, yeah. um, um we went and did a track day at Bedford in them and driving all the cars one after. You can, oh yeah, you could feel the evolution of. Yeah, you know, you know, if you were blindfolded, you could you could have put them in order. Yeah. You know, it, it's that evolution. It just feels a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. But they just, I don't know, Porsche just do it so well. They do.
0: Before I bought my RS, I went and did a. Um, a, a experience day at Porsche Silverstone yeah,
1: yeah. it was
0: it was the only way I could think of getting to drive one before yeah. I bought one um, and I drove 997 Gen 1 which had no aircon in it 997 Gen 2 and 4 litre
1: yeah.
0: in one like couple of hour session all RS's all RS's and that was awesome and the 4 litre was mega I'm very happy I've got a 3.8 and I think it's a road car no I would totally have a 4 litre absolutely the, I m- remember noticing oh shit this engine's different yeah. in the 4 litre like the punch
1: yeah.
0: it just had so much more punch
1: yeah.
0: um, have you, and you've done you've had, so you've had a few cars through that have had bought, been bored bought out haven't you so they had yeah. that one that was the four point two.
1: Yeah, we've had a couple of those. We look after a couple of those for clients with the four point two, and that is the first time I drove one. The, one of the, the guys didn't tell me. I just sort of see, and I went out and drove it, and I was like, to, "Can you take it for a good run because we've done all this work on it. We're done now." Anyway, I, there's a route I take, and I get up to the bypass, and it's like, "Fucking hell!" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "That's got some face." it's a Bentay four point two like that so you know it it is like you said the noticeable with the four liter 3.8 the 4.2 is again not there yeah
0: and the the character of that engine is it similar and more or is it quite like different
1: it's this the low down torque i initially noticed but it's it's everywhere so you get the low down torque and then you get the high up power so it initially pulls off quicker, and I, you know, warm yeah. it up, get through the lanes, and then get out to the bit of bypass. And then you open it up, and you're like, bloody hell, this thing really pulls. Uh, and then come back and say, that's, that's a good one, isn't it? It's <laughs> four points, all right. So I've, I've not, it's not like I'm driving a four-litre as far. I've driving a 3.8 that's gone to a 4.2. Yeah. So, you know, that's a big difference. And that's like... I don't know, is it
0: like plus 100 foot-pounds of torque or something?
1: I've got a power graph, so it's just, it just feels, feels, it's noticeable, noticeable, yeah. definitely. It's, it's
0: one, I've always wanted to drive that Sharkworks one, the 4.1 one, um, I didn't even know that Mantite did, did the 4.2s at all. I just sort of see them for sale every now and then and go, I didn't even know they did that.
1: Yeah, they do, uh, There's a. I think they do a 4.4 as well. I mean, these are all the Metzger based bottom ends, yeah. aren't they? Which they're just bomb proof. Yeah. You know, the only reason they ever go wrong is when, because they're either badly built, you know, people do up, don't get compression ratios right, or they're not mapped properly. But that's the only ones we ever see go wrong, come out of cup cars that have been built badly.
0: Yeah. If, if it was, if it didn't cost what it costs, and if those cars weren't kind of, going up and up I totally would buy an engine yeah. and do it and put it in just like I'm sure it'd be fun but le- actually less so I'm less interested in that now than I was five years ago so I'm like Hi. Wow. it's fine fa- it's plenty fast enough
1: yeah there's something nice about keeping them original there's also something nice about if, well, you, I want, you want the other engine so you can go right oh, I'm just going to take my original engine out and put it there yeah. and I'm going to put this 4.2 monster in it yeah, and use it for a bit and then well, if I ever come to sell it I can switch it back but then you've got to go well the car's done this mileage but the engine's only done this because I had this other engine and then people go what? Oh, I don't get it.
0: When do these cars get to a point because let's say you're buying a 2.7 RS and like they've all done loads of miles so, like, that's just where they're at.
1: Well, yeah, there's, like, with the T7 RS, you know, they've all been, God, smashed up, raced. Yeah. You know, I don't know how many original ones are left, but there's probably not there's not many. And back then, people raced them. Well, they weren't worth anything, were they? So it was a race. It was a good value yeah, yeah. race car, reliable, you know, and then people put turbo arches on them and forward-dated them because then it was all... Yeah. You know, it's all back date, forward date, what date is it? Do you think we'll get with, this is an
0: interesting slight debate I've got, I'm not going to do it, with my SC. When I bought that, SCs were worth, like, nothing. And, I I didn't do the work on it. And everyone wanted back date. But I feel like we're starting to get to the point where people will want non-backdated cars. And, an SC will become worth more than my backdated car. It can't be, we can't be too far off, I think, that. Well, that.
1: I've been saying this for a long time. Because <laughs> backdates are still, backdates have been, how long what people have been backdating for? When I mean, like, people were backdating stuff, obviously, before Singer yep. came along, and that's got to be, what, they eight, eight years yep. ago, they came out with that first one. And people have been backdating for quite a long time before that. Mm. It, it looks cool and people love the early cars so I, I, I don't know I guess it would be critical mass when, it, when you go to the ad everything you want to buy a 3-2 career and there's nothing but backdated cars yeah. you'd be like yeah. well, maybe that's when no but what, where's all the stuff gone all the bumpers all those impact yeah. bumper sets that have been thrown away And
0: <laughs> probably stuff, worth quite yeah, a
1: lot <laughs> all the stuff people take off and throw away
0: yeah be worth loads down the line another way of adding punch and it, 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 these cars have had a lot of, I'd say, flack for this. Things like the GT4 and pretty much any Boxster with the 6 and, six and under there. Got really long gearing. Yeah. So one of the things you guys do is you put short gearing in.
1: Yeah, so we change the crown, wheel and pinion. So it drops the whole gearing by about 14%. Mm. So it's, uh, it works really well. I mean, it gives it that, makes the car feel so much more alive on the road. Yeah. It's not more punchy. Um, it does, you know, 981, they're all the same gearbox. So 981s, um, all the GT4s, the Spiders, the boxers. yeah.
0: Yeah. I think. Uh, did, did the, the spider, spider change? Yeah. Was it quite... Is this nine, 981 and 718 Spider, was one a GT car and one not a GT car?
1: Yeah, so the 718 is the gt4 underneath basically yeah but the 981 wasn't not all cars look good with the roof up and down mm. but that does they're cool yeah really cool
0: I, I would quite like i really like the i say original i do not mean original
1: like the Boxster spider what was that nine 987 987 yeah so they did that in the cayman
0: r yeah no yeah cayman r is well, like slightly I, I had one as a loan for a weekend I loved it. Like it was awesome at the time. And that was when I had a nine eight one boxer, yeah. Um, and yeah, I had a Cayman for the weekend. I remember thinking they looked weird. Like just that whole shape, that era at the time looked a bit odd.
1: I only made. I mean, those Cayman R's have held their money well. Yeah. There. yeah, I think it was like two hundred or something. A lot. And a hundred a manual, hundred a PDK. And then how many had buckets and spider wheels and, yeah. and spec everybody wants, and then the right colour and just filters out. There's only a handful of them. That are-
0: yeah, and, and the same with the spiders. Like that. I think they're cool. I, I really like all the spiders, actually. I'm going through a real, like, I need a convertible thing at the moment. Driven a few convertibles recently and just like, oh, the experience.
1: If you need a convertible, you've got to go for a... You got to go for a spider, haven't you? Really? You've
0: got to go for a spider, and I think it has to have short gearing. Yeah, it was
1: designed to be a convertible in the first place. If you can only have one, 9/11. One one nine eleven to rule yeah. them all. To rule yeah. them all. <laughs> what would you go for? I mean, right now, I'd probably have to, you know, if I could even get one, it'd be a nine nine two RS. Because just to get hold of one of them and yeah. be using that and tracking that and out in that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be mega. It's not going to happen. So, in the realistic... I mean, I had a 991.2 manual, which Mm -hmm. I loved that car. That was a brilliant car. Yeah. Yeah, really good on track, great on the road, fast as you'll ever need. But the only thing when I got to the track, I wished it was PDK. Yeah. But every other time, I loved it being manual. So that was pretty cool. But then, you know, like 997.2 RS, that little one we got down there, that'd be... I, I couldn't ever pick...
0: So I normally wrap these up with five questions. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey?
1: Yes. Uh, I did a Carrera GT driving trip this year. So I've got a client we look after we look after a few Carrera GTs. Mm. Um, I've got a client I've got to know him. Obviously when you look after cars like that you really get to know people because they love their cars I love their cars. Yeah. You know so you just tend to you end up exchanging WhatsApp messages talking about Career GTs and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, he said to me, Ollie, I've booked this road trip um, down through the Pyrenees. He's got a few other cars. And he goes, I want to take the Career GT, but I don't trust any of my mates to drive it. He me. do you want to come and share the driving? Yep. <laughs> there was, yep, there, there was no, absolutely no hesitation at all. So it was just like yep. And then I said to the wife, I've been invited on this trip to drive this career, and she said, Well. Can't say no to that, can you? I said good, because when you said yes. <laughs> that was happening, no, that was that was non-negotiable. There's certain things in your life yeah. when you just you ask for forgiveness, not permission, and that was yeah, I'm okay. going. We'll talk about it later. But she was fully on board with it, so because she knew that was like yeah. I mean that was an it was an absolutely brilliant drive. Like that car with we put the KW suspension on it, and it's also got an inconel exhaust system on it, and it just that V10 sound is just, and driving that car and, and Chris who owns it, he's such a lovely guy. He's really chilled out. So yeah, he was like, "Yeah, okay." He just let me drive it. You know, he didn't yeah. didn't didn't question me about it or anything, and he did say, "You probably drive this ten to twenty percent faster than I do." I said, "Don't worry, I'm not like <laughs> I'm not about to sling it off the side <laughs> of the mountain here because I want to make it too." But yeah. that was really cool. I mean, those cars, you know, and to drive them and to drive it fast, it, it almost gets smaller because they're a big car, right? And they're quite nerve, You know, manoeuvring them around is horrible. Um, you know, driving them out of the workshop because they've got the anti stall yeah. and you don't want to buzz the clutch them or anything. So you just manoeuvring them around is quite horrible. You get them out on the open road and you start to wind them up and everything comes into itself. They're just beautiful.
0: That's it. Like a, a really good cars do that, don't they? It doesn't like kind of matter what size they are. They just kind of shrink yeah. and you're just, everything works. Everything does what you expect it to do. And then you can just drive as fast or as slow as you want, can't you?
1: That car to get like, because it he's got the tiny clubs, the revs drop off so quick. So to get even like the downshift, heel and toe downshifts to get them right and even getting an upshift cause they're not the quickest box. But the revs drop off so quick. So you kind of, you got almost buzzing on the way up as well. It's just epic car. It's It's the best, but they'll never make anything like that again. That would be, if I could have any car, that would be, that that would be it.
0: As these cars get older, presumably there's actually a certain amount of mileage that you kind of want it to have done.
1: Yeah. So when you see these like delivery mileage stuff, that's Mm -hmm. really quite old you know you're going to be restoration. looking at loads of problems with them. Even if they've been dry stalled, you know, it's they start to leak oil and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think you want to be doing, you want to be 100 miles a month in a car as a minimum. Yeah. So 1,000 miles, 1,200 miles a year on a car is not really going to devalue it yeah. much, is it? But it keeps everything just working right. You know, a lot of, so the 959s that we do maintenance on, a lot of the problems you get with them is because they don't get used. Mm-hmm. So, the one we did the engine build on, when it came in for a service, and it actually leaked oil onto the exhaust system whilst it was on the ramp and caught fire. I mean, luckily, it didn't happen when the guy drove it down here. Yeah. And so we put it out and said, look, we're going to have to pull this engine out. And then he said, well, there's some other bits and pieces, and we put it all back together. And because the car lives in storage. I said to the, look, you need to use it because then we can work out what's going on with these other little electrical gremlins. And it's been used all this summer. So it's been out to quite a few car shows and and stuff. And everything works. It's all just come back to life. All the electrical gremlins have gone. And, you know, we sorted out a couple of bits, but nothing, if you've been faced with that list and it had come in and said, fix this, you would never have fixed it because it hadn't been used. So just using the car with those little niggles, they've, it's just worked itself out and fixed it and that's often the problem how do you fix a problem on a car because it's there because it hasn't been used if you're not going to use it there's no point that's what I said if you're not going to use it there's no point we might as well just leave them
0: if you could only drive one car for the rest of your life
1: when I think back over the stuff I've driven like that Carrera GT drive was epic but if you had to live with something every day from a practicality point of view and a fun point of view and just being really cool point of view yeah Maybe T 7 T7RS will probably be in there because it's such an iconic car. It's also that understated thing yeah. where people look at it and just think it's probably think it's a 3T with
0: yeah.
1: like wheels and graphics on it.
0: They don't even know what that is. It's yeah. just an old Porsche.
1: Yeah, it's just... The, well, a T7RS is a bit like AC Cobras, aren't they? When you see one, you go, it's probably not a real one. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. exactly.
1: <laughs> so one of those would be up there. Because it's just from a fun point of view, and it's yeah. just there's nothing to go wrong on it, and it costs you buttons to maintain it. Yeah. But right up to, like I said earlier, my 991.2 GT3 manual, mm-hmm. that was really cool. Had enough modern stuff on it.
0: Yeah. A real, like, usable in the modern world. Yeah. i mean all of these things they're all got an engine four wheels and whatever but uh,
1: as long as you've got a cigarette lighter to charge your phone you can just yeah. click it on your screen you've got ways you got yeah you've <laughs> got your podcast on there got your radio come through put your earbuds in so you don't even need all that tech in cars now no so if you know that to run a seven rs as a daily forever that would be really cool
0: that would be super cool yeah, and yeah you just need like a bluetooth connection to something
1: yeah job done
0: uh what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment?
1: What should be worth more? I've always thought that 99 nine, well, have come up recently. Everything has come up recently, not it? I haven't looked at the price of stuff recently, to be honest. I always thought 996.1 GT3s were cheap. Yeah. But I don't think they are anymore. What, what are they? 50, 60? I think they're more than that now. I think they were, when you, you see them for like high 40s, fifty, because they're yeah. the first of, I know... It's still a GT3 and it's still the first. Like For example, I remember when like, all these the short wheelbase 911 cup cars now that are run, they were, nobody wanted those years ago. Oh, you don't want a short wheelbase one. They don't, you want a long wheelbase one. And they were for nothing. Yeah. And then there's a race series and now they're what, a quarter of a million quid? Yeah. And I think the 996 GT3.1 is because it's that motorsport, first built, first yeah. of its era, They've always looked like good value to me from a collector point of view. Yeah, because um, there's like 100, and, just over 100 right hand drive cars. So, oh. yeah, yeah, they're rare. They're really rare.
0: And uh, and I think a lot of the now they they're absolutely in the point where you don't
1: expect them to be the latest greatest thing. You buy a nine six four for the same money. Yeah, <laughs> and it needs completely restoring. Yeah, you can you buy might. a nine nine six GT three and and great. A lot of that stuff crosses over to Boxsters and. Maybe that's partly why, because a lot of crossover parts are the same, but I means secondhand parts supply is easy. But this is what it was like years in nine six fours. You know, you pick up a. I paid three and a half grand for a nine six four with a knocking big end. You know, yeah. they would, and I used to have engines, gearboxes lying around. Used to break them up, so I just parts galore, and it was cheap. You know, yeah. you could maintain your car cheap like that. And I think nine nine sixes are kind of in that era, and because the GT three. A lot of the parts are the same. Similar like the 964 RS. And yeah. The way Porsche have always done it, everything sort of fits, doesn't it?
0: Fits and works and whatnot.
1: Um, but, yeah, everything else is... I don't know. It's unusual time at the moment, isn't it, for values?
0: I, I find it really difficult to buy something right now because I'm like, ah, surely, surely there's going to be some sort of correction.
1: But yeah, but everybody says that. But the then stuff. Rare stuff, yeah. I mean, the thing is, like the the stuff always goes. It does always go up and down, but generally, it goes up to more than it was before. Yeah. So as long as you're not buying them to make money on, yeah, you're just buying the car because it's the car you want. Yeah. Um. I, I, I did see a show earlier this year, which really caught my eye. I thought was really cool. Is somebody had done a it was an old two point five Boxster, and they'd made it look a bit like the um the car the launch car you know they did at the motor show with the sort of cut one wheels that were gold in the middle right. so the silver with terracotta amber lights um just looked like yeah. that when they launched it 25 years ago the concept car one yeah um, and they'd put so low, like a three-piece cut one wheel with the studs around mm-hmm. the out the bolts around the outside and gold center wheels <laughs> and but it just looked really clean yeah well, that was quite cool
0: and it's the like where's the value I'm definitely, if I'm like looking at the value in the range of stuff, it's like something like a 996 GT3, it's nowhere near, I never thought they were like horrific to look at ever really. But I look at them now and go like, that seems like lots of value and same with things like the Boxsters and all that sort of stuff. Like it seems like just really good
1: value. They always all these things do full circle, right? And as yeah. human beings, we don't seem to learn that. Yeah, <laughs> it just goes round and round, yeah. stuck because it will get to the point where it's, all the cheap ones will have gone from the market yeah. and have been broken up for parts or scrapped or, or whatever. What's
0: the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you sort of googling, and looking up?
1: Probably, I mean, the 992 GT3 RS. Quite looking forward to getting a proper look over that. Got a client who's got a DLS coming. No, nice. um, I'm looking forward to having a look over that. But yeah, just, I've anything bullshit, then really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever's the
0: latest, greatest thing yeah. popping out? Because I guess you know, in not too long, one of them will turn up here.
1: Yeah, we've got, I, I mean, I don't know who's actually got a confirmed order on an RS yet. I don't think anyone, yeah.
0: maybe now they do, but they didn't about a week ago. No one, yeah. I don't think anyone had one.
1: Yeah, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I know we've got a few clients who've said they're getting them, but they said we haven't had all these confirmed. So yeah, I don't know when deliver. Is it first quarter next year? Is delivery? And that sounds about
0: right. Yeah. Um, I know. I believe allocations. The rumor oh. I've been hearing is allocations are being done by Porsche, or like have to slightly go through Porsche for the RS, um, which is why lots of people don't know that they've. They think they're getting one, but they're like, I don't know. Um, which would be. I'm just looking forward to seeing them out and about and banging around. I'd like to see one on the road. Yeah. Just, you know, just parked outside a coffee shop or something.
1: Have you specced yours up online? Uh, No. No.
0: Um, I've specced. I I have a GTS on order.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, But I don't think I'm ever going to get it. (laughs) I ordered it in February.
1: Right.
0: And production ends pretty soon because 992.2 is coming
1: yeah
0: um so i i really think it may not ever turn up which is kind of annoying
1: hmm. do they stay in touch about that or are you chasing them or how's that
0: it's somewhere in the middle
1: have they told you it's coming or
0: they're like we have because they don't they get a certain number of allocations sort of come through and they're like oh we've got another gts right the next person on the list this is your car so I haven't been allocated like a specific car or anything yet they're just
1: You're working a minute
0: and they're like well you know we know the 911T's coming out if you want to sort of move your slot into one of them um, I was like oh, I'll have a think about it um, but I drove a GTS a 992. I really like it like it felt like a a bit more special than a 991 GTS and it sounds a bit better Whatever, blah, 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 all the stuff. And I was like,
1: yeah, but I want that car. I'm like, I want the one I signed up for. You're
0: like, well, you might be able to get a 992, one of the early 992.2 Carrera S's. I'm like, yeah, but that's a different car. Yeah, I don't want that, I don't want that one. I <laughs> want oh, on that one. How about you just give me a GT free, yeah? <laughs> give me a GT free. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> not, not one to worry about. Um, five car garage, unlimited value. Carrera GT.
1: Uh, G7RS. <laughs>
0: Just to go. <laughs> it's got to fit into your life. So if you've got a daily or whatever, I've
1: got a bung my daily in there.
0: If if you you know if one of these is not your daily,
1: okay. career GT two seven RS nine six four three eight RSR. Mmm. Yeah, that'd be cool. Nine nine two GT three RS. Yeah. Oh, so do I have a convert? I've got a convertible, so I've got the career GT covers a lot of bases.
0: You've not got anything like
1: with back seats
0: with back seats
1: yeah yeah I've got nothing back seats have I well um yeah that's not going to be very helpful some of your back seats maybe a Cayenne Turbo Coupe yeah. they look quite cool I saw one the other day at a pool centre with yeah. uh, as in crayon with um like ceramics and mm-hmm. mega spec on it it's like oh that looks cool right cool well thanks very much for coming on the podcast thank you for having me